You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey everyone, welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. This is Erin Carey, and this week I'm going to be finishing up my series for Mental Health Awareness Month. Like I said, the first episode for May that mental health awareness happens every month. It's not just something we work on in May, but I want to bring some practical tools to eating mindfully in order to heal your relationship with food. This is something that I've never really talked about on this podcast before, but I think it's super important because I talk a lot about eating for brain health. I've had multiple episodes devoted to foods that are going to fire up your brain and are going to help you think more clearly, that are going to improve your anxiety and your depression, what have you. But I truly believe that it's impossible to make a change for brain health until we are regulating our brain and adjusting our mindset. I think that they go hand in hand. We have to get past our negative body thoughts and our rigid food rules in order to approach this whole idea of eating for mental health and eating mindfully in a way that's going to be sustainable and that's going to truly bring us health and wholeness long-term. Whatever you think about, you will keep thinking about. As Dr. David Perlmutter puts it in his book, Brainwash, the more you do something, the more you do something. That is true whether that something is good for you or bad for you. That is true for how we eat. That is true for the thoughts that we think. That is true for any of the habits that we have in our lives. So when we switch our thoughts toward our bodies, when our thoughts toward our bodies and what we eat are continually negative, it's hard to turn the switch on to positive. And here's the thing. You don't have to force yourself to love your body. I, you know, I'm all for this whole body acceptance movement as long as we are truly being present in the bodies that we are given. We're not just saying, oh yeah, I love my body. I love my body. Because when you struggle with a chronic illness of any kind, or you're dealing with unresolved health issues, it is nearly impossible to love your body or be grateful for it. But the thoughts that you think do create neural pathways and they act as familiar shortcuts in your brain. If you spent your entire life hating your body, your cells pick up on the signals of distress. Your body translates that as fight or flight. It cues protection in the form of throwing things off balance to create homeostasis. Your body is not against you. Your body is simply picking up on the signals that you give it and responding to keep you safe. So your thoughts do matter. Training your brain and creating new neural pathways, that, that's going to send signals to every cell in your body. Be kind to yourself. So the way I think about this is, is kind of the way I think about laundry, right? I don't love doing laundry. Laundry is actually the most annoying household chore that I have to do because it's ever-present It is always with me. It's always a need that I must attend to. I mean, you know, that's also true for my children, but I I truly do love them. (laughs) I don't love laundry and I doubt I will ever force myself to love laundry no matter how many mantras I tell myself, but I am grateful to have clothes to wear. I am grateful to have clean clothes that don't stink and smell like my night sweats. I am grateful that my husband's clothes don't perpetually smell like his man stink after he works out. I am grateful that the laundry takes out any of the stains that my kids make on their clothes as on their clothes as well. 
And so I don't love doing laundry. I can't make myself love laundry, but I can appreciate the function of washing and folding clothes. I can appreciate what laundry does for me and how that supports the health of my family in its own annoying way. And that's how I feel about my body. My body and I have been on a long journey together. I can't say that I love it all the time, but I am slowly beginning to appreciate what it does for me to keep me safe. As I'm learning to manage my stress and identifying root causes to my symptoms, I'm learning that all of the annoying hormonal fluctuations and weight fluctuations and inconvenient hunger signals and everything else that goes on internally and intracellularly that I might not understand or really like in the moment is to keep me safe and to keep my body fully functioning to serve its purpose in the world. It is a beautiful design. When it comes to nutrition, And when I talk about nutrition, at this point, I'm talking about our secondary nutrition, our food nutrition, because our primary nutrition does not come from the food that we eat. I have to choose to partner with my body for whole body nourishment. This isn't about dieting or restriction or telling myself what I can't have in order to perfect my body and finally get into the gene size of my dreams, which I've never done anyway, by the way. It's about food being in the most nutrient-dense form so that I can have the energy to do what I need to do. My purpose is not to limit joy from my life. My purpose is to serve and to share my gifts in the way that God has designed me to share them. And I can only do that when I'm fully fed and nourished with food that makes my body feel good. So this is where it gets really tricky in everyone's mind, right? Traditionally, we've been told that it's all about calories in and calories out. And that makes a lot of sense if our bodies are simple, like a math equation. But our bodies aren't a simple math equation. We know too much that the calories that we consume and how they get utilized depends on our stress levels in the day. The calories that we consume get, quote, burned, depending on how fast we eat, how slow we eat, who we are eating with, and what our mental state is when we are eating. It isn't just as simple as this amount of calories will get burned, and then if you exercise this amount of calories, you will have a calorie deficit. Stop treating your body like a math equation. In fact, think of it this way. If you're going to fuel your car at the gas station, but you only allow half the amount of fuel you normally would in order for your car to have an energy deficit, do you really think your car is going to be able to go as far as you want it to go? No, that doesn't even make sense. Yet we are treating our bodies like cars and expecting our bodies to do exactly what we want them to do. Now, a lot of this goes back to the fact that we don't want to partner with our bodies. We don't feel safe getting into our bodies. We don't feel safe nourishing our bodies because our bodies have betrayed us over and over again, whether that's through trauma, emotional or sexual or physical abuse of any kind, medical injury or trauma, or a diagnosis where we know our body isn't functionally functioning as optimally as it should, and we have to rely on outside support and treatment to take care of it. When we feel that our bodies are against us, instinctually, many of us just want to beat our bodies into submission, you know, like just, just do this plan and, and it's all going to work out. Unfortunately, instead of tuning into our own bodies and understanding what our unique bodies need for nourishment, we turn around and we ask other people, to tell us what our bodies need. You reach out to somebody like me and you're like, okay, give me a meal plan, right? No, that's when the whole noise of diet culture and health and wellness culture can become so overwhelming and overpowering that we don't really know where to turn. So that's when I get questions like, well, do I do keto? Do I do paleo, weight watchers, slim fast, 
or the new modern day versions of SlimFast, because even if we rename it, there's really nothing new in the world of dieting. When we put our trust in a certain plan to tell our bodies how to respond and act, we often end up failing. Then we feel like the failure instead of accepting that it's just the plan that failed us. It wasn't us. It was the plan. The basic needs of the human body have not changed ever. Despite what all the new eating trends and inflicting all these diets would tell you, right? We receive macronutrient nutrition in the form of carbohydrates, fat, and protein. Within those macronutrients, we receive micronutrients. That's where we're talking about all of our vitamins and minerals. Each person's body is going to digest, absorb, and utilize all of the above in a unique way. Now, yes, we we have some really interesting gene testing these days, and genes can play a role in what you're going to be more predisposed to utilizing for fuel. But remember, genes load the gun and our environment pulls the trigger. In the last 100 years or so, the introduction of processed foods and big food companies who want us to get to eat their processed foods have complicated this quite a bit. We now have grocery store shelves lined with products that have been designed to reach a bliss point that is not found in nature in any form or fashion. In nature, when we are able to reach a certain combination of sugar or salt or fat, our body is able to tell us, okay, cool, that's good, you had enough. For example, have you ever overconsumed bananas? Have you ever overconsumed a piece of steak? Have you ever overconsumed something like lentils? No, there's typically a natural stopping place. However, we now have foods that are created to bypass that natural stopping place so that even when our taste buds say, hey, I'm getting a whole bunch of information here and a whole bunch of flavors at once, so that probably means we should stop, your brain getting hit by all sorts of enticing neurotransmitters and neuropeptides responds with, hey, I don't think we're done yet. In fact, I get really happy when I eat this, so I'm going to eat even more next time. I have personal experience with this. I grew up loving food and loving sugar, loving to eat until I've made myself sick. I've always loved food in excess. Food brought me comfort and pleasure when I was depressed. Food brought me a serotonin and dopamine boost when I was tapped out. There is nothing wrong with that. The problem is that for most of my life, I believed that I lacked discipline and self-control when it came to my eating habits. So I dieted. I did sugar detoxes only to return back to the things that brought me the most pleasure and happiness. I swung back and forth from a food free-for-all to a restrictive diet. With the diet, I usually quit if I didn't lose an instant 10 pounds or whatever it was at the time. Actually, even if I did lose weight, I would swing back because the draw of the processed foods was too strong. I didn't trust myself to be around sweets. I couldn't control myself around donuts. I avoided buying flavored chips because I knew that once I started, I wouldn't stop. The only sweet I could say no to without a problem was ice cream. But that's just because it's so darn cold that I can't taste the flavor after a few bites and it just ruins it for me. So my sense of willpower or discipline only lasted so long and I searched to find balance. That word balance can be really annoying when it comes to dieting and food and nutrition. It's, it's really used way too much and it's often misunderstood. When we're talking about balancing our meals and eating a balanced diet, that means something different to everyone who says it. Balance for you may look like having sugar every day but Sunday and balance for me 
look like might look like never having any sugar except on Sunday. So see, creating balance is really in the eye of the one doing the balancing. So the phrasing, the way we talk about food matters. If we're going to partner with our bodies for whole body healing, we need to understand that the way we choose to talk to our bodies about our choices of nourishment impacts the way we digest and utilize nutrients. Because what do I always say? A body in stress won't digest. Our thoughts pave the way for everything that happens on an intracellular level. If we are stressed about our food choices, it alters the way we digest. Now, does what you put into your body impact your health? Of course. But what you tell yourself about your food and your body determines if you can even access rest and digest which is important for the healing process. During a meal, we want to be relaxed. We want to be filled with gratitude and completely present in our bodies to load our senses with information and nourishment and the pleasure-filled experience of eating. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Food is not just fuel. Food is comfort and healing on so many levels. So here's just some popular food phrasing that you need to really do a heart check on? Do you use this phrasing? What does it do for you to use this phrasing? Is it benefiting your health in any way when you use these phrases? The first one, cheap meal. Oh my goodness. This implies that you are being deceptive or sneaky with your body. Cheating on your body, right? Like that doesn't make sense to me. You're on the same team. So even if you're saying, well, it's a cheat day, it's a cheat meal, I just don't love the connotation of that language towards yourself. The other thing that I hear a lot of people say is phrasing like, oh, it's it's not on my plan. I can't eat that. Well, when you say that, that takes the ownership of what you choose to support your body with into someone else's hands. Only you get to choose what's best for you. You can also choose to say no for yourself, not for the plan. And then there's my favorite, guilt-free dessert. Okay. Choosing to eat dessert and find pleasure from food is not a moral failing. So all desserts by design should be guilt-free. Now, choosing to numb emotional pain with any substance can have deeper internal consequences. But when we say something like guilt-free, again, we're implying that just eating dessert is going to make us feel guilty. And we're just setting our bodies up for that assumption and failure later on. Oh, and then there's the other one that I always try to correct my clients on is the whole good food, bad food. Listen, different types of food will perform different functions in your body and it will be received differently. Some food will make you feel better than other food, but that doesn't make it an issue of good or bad morality. It doesn't make you a good or bad person depending on the choice you make. And that's super important because I used to say that all the time. Oh, I had a good food day, a bad food day. And it really kind of set me up for how I was feeling about myself. And then the last one that we use a lot is, oh, I already blew it today, so tomorrow I'll do better. I'll make up for it tomorrow. Well, that's a sweeping judgment based on one singular food choice at one point in the day. That negativity itself can alter digestion and bring unwanted distress throughout the body and create more unnecessary stress leading to more unwanted decisions is a cycle. So, okay, knowing that processed foods have been designed to hook us, that's huge, that's really important. But also knowing that overconsumption is not a moral failing, it's just your body's doing what the food company's intended for your body to do because that's how you've been designed. But we also know that the way we talk to our bodies about our food matters. So how, knowing all of this, putting all this together, how can we manage our stress about food and eat in a way that supports 
old body health? Well, I am glad you asked because I want to dive into the topic of eating for improved mental health, nourishing our brains and our bodies. But I'm not perfect at this either. It's really important because I am managing a chronic illness every day. I have to constantly be aware of triggers and things that impact my mental and physical well-being because they are connected. And so I want to describe a little bit about becoming more mindful of what we're eating and to take our time and improving eating habits, not necessarily through the foods that you're eating, but through the way that you approach eating, because that's really going to improve your relationship with food and hopefully as a side effect might lead you to make different decisions. We cannot change our eating habits until we change our mindset toward food. If we are only eating a certain way for a certain time period to reach a temporary goal, It's easy to go extreme and then quit. But what if the goal is something we can't see on a scale? What if the goal is for internal health that isn't always visible from the outside? What if the goal is to actually stop and listen to our body's needs? Something that so many of us have tuned out for a very long time. This takes a more gradual approach. So if you've ever taken a psychology class, I took a couple in college just because it was required, right? There's that pyramid image of Maslow's hierarchy of basic human needs. Do you remember that? That image has always kind of stuck with me because while we have self-actualization at the top of the pyramid, that's the end goal, we can't make it there without meeting basic physiological needs like safety, love, and esteem. So when I think about using nutrition in a therapeutic healing way, being mindful, and we want at the top of the pyramid, growth and long-term health, I picture a similar pyramid. And this pyramid has five sections. So bear with me. I want to kind of explain how we're going to go through this. Growth and health is our goal, right? Like we want to learn, we want to achieve health, or we want to start working toward health, not just some like 10 pound goal or whatever. At the bottom section where we really have to start is with observation observe your behavior. What are the patterns that you see right now that are healthy? What patterns do you believe are not supportive of your mental and physical health? Just observe. Go through a day of eating, a day or two of eating, and observe what's going on. And from there, at level two of the pyramid, you question without judgment. Ask yourself questions about your behavior. Are you taking time to eat? Are you rushing? Are you choosing foods that give you instant relief? You know, that hit of dopamine, the processed foods that we love because you're tired, because you waited too long to eat. Are you actually stopping when you're full or is there an off switch anywhere to be found? There's no right or wrong answer. You're just tuning in and you're questioning what is going on throughout my day-to-day process of eating. Then at the third level, that's when you really want to give yourself room to start changing things up because we don't want to make changes until we're observing and tuning in and we're questioning and we've stopped being judgmental with ourselves. So maybe to make a change, maybe you start with breakfast, whenever it is you choose to break your fast, right? It doesn't have to be first thing in the morning because maybe you want to wait and listen until you're hungry. Maybe you're not hungry first thing in the morning. Maybe you decide to eat something that isn't even traditionally a breakfast food but it's something with good protein, good fat. You know that it's going to keep you full. You know, it might give you some energy. So change it up for a few days. What feels different when you do that? What feels good? What feels bad? What doesn't feel right? Throw out the rules of, oh, I need to eat this at breakfast, this at lunch, this at dinner, and ask your body what it needs to feel better. Level four from there, after you start changing things up, start listening. This is a continual process. Maybe you don't know what it means to listen to your body. This is why learning to manage stress and find some moments for stillness or quiet is so important. Don't dissociate from the process of nourishment. While food isn't your primary nutrition, it is a basic human need. 
So tune into what your body is telling you. For me, for example, I noticed that my brain feels buzzy when I eat something that's extremely sweet. Sweet. I know it sounds really weird to say it that way, but it, it's true. It's like a switch gets flipped on in a temporarily amazing kind of way. Like it, it's a good feeling, but then the buzzing gets louder and it makes me feel kind of tired and foggy. Many people I know when they start doing this, they listen with their gut, literally. <laughs> now my daughter, I'll give use her as an example. She, she mentions that her stomach will hurt really easily from anything that has too much dairy or gluten or a combo or, of both. She is one of the best listeners I know. I take no credit for that. I do always tell her to listen to her stomach and make choices that are right for her body, but she does a great job. She will put her fork down because the momentary pleasure isn't worth the discomfort. That is not a tool that I had when I was her age. At the top of the pyramid, once we have done that, once we have observed, once we've questioned, once we have changed things up, once we have listened and continued to listen, then we can reach growth. We can reach growth and we can start looking for health and signals that we are feeling better. We are going to grow as we go. And sometimes we have to start all over again. The pyramid isn't a destination that we arrive at. We may need to take the fire escape, right? And head down to start observing all over again. There are certain foods that I always think that I want, but I always end up at the same result of feeling foggy and tired. Or maybe sometimes there's certain things that sound good to me. And then I try it and I'm like, well, gosh, I don't even really like that. That kind of, that doesn't taste that good to me anymore. So every once in a while I have to start back over and observe questioning without judgment. Did I really even want that thing that I just had? What did I learn from that experience? Was I able to enjoy my food and be present with it? Or was I consumed by guilt or shame? Because when we're feeling guilt or shame, we are much more likely to start dissociating from the eating process. So that is all part of the growth process, going back and forth. And I do want to make a note on intuitive eating. We've talked a little bit about this on the podcast before. I truly, I, I have a continued love-hate relationship with that concept. I have worked through the, intu the official intuitive eating workbook before, and I think that it has really some great principles, especially while people are recovering from eating disorders. So what I really think about, though, is that while I truly believe what I'm describing, even in this episode, is about eating intuitively, we also have to keep in mind that it is physiologically impossible to intuitively consume anything that has been designed to hijack our neurotransmitters. A friend of mine, Elise Carter, she was on the show a few episodes ago. She describes intuitive eating, modern food. It's kind of like intuitive consumption of social media. <laughs> it's not possible. If I allow myself to intuitively use an app that has been designed by its creators to keep me clicking on the app and checking notifications as much as possible because it's rewiring my brain, I'm losing before I even get started. These food companies are a big business. They don't have your mental health in mind. They don't have your physical health in mind. If you want to do any more research on that, I really encourage you to read the book by Michael Moss. It is called Salt, Sugar, and Fat, and it goes into exactly what big food companies have done to our psychology through marketing and through reaching the bliss point of foods in order to hook us. And that's really, really important just to be aware of, especially if we're talking about eating for mental health. Now, there's a place for crowding in, what I like to say, whole foods without going extreme on restriction, because that can be triggering for somebody that has a past history of lots of dieting or disordered eating. I feel that way myself. This is where 
we have to learn to eat mindfully. And so I'm going to give you just a few ideas on eating mindfully, and then we're going to finish this off. So the first thing I want you to think about, if you really want to train your brain to think about food in a different way and start nourishing your body better, think of addition over restriction. Because like I mentioned, the way we talk about our food matters. We have to approach our food with a mindset of abundance and not scarcity, because that's going to open us up to this process of exploration and healing instead of shutting us down. So this is where it kind of gets fun. So add in food from whole food sources as much as possible. We're not taking anything out. We're not removing anything. Add in as much as you can that's a whole food and see what happens. Fill up on colorful vegetables. Make them fill half your plate or more at mealtime. Take a tour through your grocery store and see what produce you've never cooked before. Try out something new every week. When we get bored of having the same thing over and over again, we lose our excitement for it. So keep things exciting. Something I often use with clients is a rainbow color chart of different whole foods in different color categories. So for example, at the orange category, you have carrots, orange peppers, pumpkin, butternut squash, sweet potato, and turmeric root. And then for purple, you would have purple carrots, purple sweet potatoes, kale, purple potatoes, blueberries, and cabbage, and eggplant, etc. Every day, try to add as many colors into your diet as you can. I've never met a vegetable that didn't go well with another vegetable. So this is an opportunity to utilize stir fries, roasting, or maybe even blending soups together and making a stew, depending on what time of year it is. In the summer, I love eating a big fatty salad filled with different types of greens, lots of colorful raw veggies, things like artichokes and olives to add a little different dimension to the flavor and a protein of some kind or nuts and seeds. And then I top it all off with some lemon, olive oil, and vinegar. When I have that many different colors and flavor varieties, hit my taste buds. It is so much more satisfying than eating the same thing every day. I'm actually making myself hungry as I say this out loud because I need to eat. I'm hungry. (laughs) So I need to listen to my own body. The second thing to think through, if you want to eat more mindfully, find what nourishes you. Start with a mindful food journal. I, I have these. You can reach out to me if you want to know what mine looks like. So, But instead of documenting what food you're eating every day, document how are you feeling when you eat your food? What's your hunger rating? What's your fullness rating? Are you anxious while you're eating? Are you rushed? Are you thinking about all the things that you need to do? Or are you being present with your body? When it comes to nourishment, I have made it abundantly clear that food is not the only thing that nourishes us. So maybe this is a great time to make a list of nourishing food, people, activities, and habits. Don't limit nourishment to the food that you put in your mouth. Compare that with a list of what is draining to you. What food, people, and activities drain your time and energy? Look at your day and see where you are offering yourself space for true, fulfilling nourishment, not things that are making you feel empty and hungry on every level. The third tip, and we've already kind of talked about that when I gave the pyramid example, but observe your thought patterns. When you are faced with a craving or a judgmental or harsh thought towards your own eating habits and your or your own body image, right? Question that without judgment. Look at it from an outsider's perspective. Like, gosh, I really, really want to go buy some ice cream right now. Like I I just, I'm going to hop in my car. I'm going to go, okay, why? What is it about the ice cream? What's really going on? Because sometimes we want a certain food and that's the end of it. No problem there. But sometimes we are looking for further nourishment on a deeper level. And remember, no secondary food can satisfy a deep need for primary food. So look at where there are gaps in your primary nutrition. Are you feeling, are you hurt? Are you feeling exhausted? Are you angry? 
Are you resentful? Are you tired? Are you tense? I I usually do a little heart check and that's that acronym there, H-E-A-R-T. Are you hurting, exhausted, angry, resentful, or tense? Any one of those things is going to trigger you to find relief through a substance, right? Or an activity. That's just kind of what we want to do to escape the pain. That's what our brains are designed to do. And that's not a bad thing. But check in with yourself and observe that and maybe make sure that you have a statement ready when you start finding yourself spiraling like that. I like reminding myself that I know what my body needs for nourishment and I can trust myself with food. Sometimes just saying that can be really helpful. And then the next thing when we're talking about mindful eating tips, keep in mind that exercising restraint is okay. Hey, as you can, as you continue to observe your patterns and behaviors, and you really tune into listening to the needs of your body, you might notice that there are some things, certain foods that really don't taste all that great and don't leave you feeling awesome either. So what are those things? Pay attention to that. And it's okay to restrain yourself. I'm not talking about restriction. I'm talking about showing healthy restraint. Maybe you're at a party and you find yourself mindlessly eating chips and dip, not necessarily loving it, but eating it because it's there. Maybe you're at a restaurant. Somebody pulls out the queso, right? Queso is one of those things. And it's like, I don't know. I don't love it. But if it's there, I can catch myself mindlessly eating it. Well, tune into that because do you really want to be eating that because it tastes so good and you're enjoying yourself? If the answer is no, then it's okay to step away. Nobody is forcing you to eat chips and queso. What is your gut telling you? Maybe you're trying to work on healing some gut health issues. Maybe you want to limit inflammatory triggers like gluten or dairy or eggs or whatever it is that's your trigger food. That is absolutely your choice. And you can do that if that is something that you feel that is worth experimenting and trying to do and it's not going to bring added stress to your life. Not everyone has an issue with gluten or dairy, but for those who do choose to eliminate gluten or dairy or both, often they do find that they feel so much better and it's not worth consuming any longer. But that takes listening to your unique body instead of the advice of someone else, even if it's me, and tuning out other people's opinions on what you put on your plate. So that goes into the next one. Here's another tool for mindful eating. Watch for double standards in your thinking surrounding food. Do you give grace for others for indulging in, in certain things? And then do you just turn around and beat your own self up for eating those same things? There is no food shame allowed. Keep your eyes on your own plate. We can get so judgy with ourselves and judgy with other people. This is often when those of us with a past history of dieting or disordered eating, this is where we can get really tripped up. We begin to make up up new rules with our new healthy eating habits, rules that have nothing to do with how we feel or any healthy behaviors, but because it feels good to check a box, right? Like, oh yes, I was gluten-free all day long, check. It feels good to be a little morally superior with our eating habits sometimes too. It's like, well, I know that I am not creating gaps in the tight junction of my cell wall because I am not consuming gluten. Well, if you're really thinking that, pay attention to that. It's okay to, to think, you know, let your mind wander, but check in with yourself. What is going on? And go back to that primary nourishment. What are, you, what are you lacking? Have you been managing your stress? Are you drowning in it? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you connecting with others that you care about? I often say that anxiety is triggered by ruptured connection. And food anxiety is greatly exacerbated when there is something else missing in our lives. Often what goes on in our outside world is reflected on our plate and what we put in front of us. So start tuning in and watch out for that double standards and judgmental thinking surrounding food, especially when you start eating things that are better for you. Maybe that thing feels better for you, but that doesn't mean it's going to be better for somebody else. And the last thing, 
that I'm going to share to improve our mindful eating to really tune in with ourselves is to slow down. Eat without multitasking. Be present in your body. Pray a prayer of gratitude and take a deep cleansing breath before getting started with your meal. Make it effort to eat a meal with others in a relaxed, stress-free setting. One of the things that I always find fascinating about people who live in blue zones, if you're familiar, if you're familiar with blue zones, it's the area, the different areas in the world where people live the longest, most healthfully, and die of natural causes. And and what I find fascinating about that is that community is so important and mealtime is sacred. Many people in blue zones, they eat a wide range of food and a large quantity of food at that, but they eat together and they take their time. When it comes to digesting your food, the only thing you can really control is how many times you chew. So take your time chewing your food, allowing your body to build up its own acid in order to digest it. Try to make every meal last 20 minutes or longer. Give your body a chance to rest and digest, a chance to tell your brain that you have had food. This also gives your body a chance to be present and feel safe. Food signals safety, but food is not safe when we are eating in a hurry, when we are eating in a place of stress or fight or flight or freeze. We dissociate so often when we're eating food. We numb out, but be present with your body and give your body the gift of nourishment. I hope that these tips were helpful because there are so many different ways of eating for brain health and there are so many different people out there sharing advice, but I truly believe that until we can tune in and start listening to our bodies and be present for our bodies and partner with our bodies, not much is going to change. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode of this completes our series for mental health awareness month. I hope you have a wonderful week. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze, and I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.